What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All right, come on then, Musa Kwanga on tour. Okay, yeah, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast, The Ring RC. I'm Mesut Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, man. How are you? Bit jet lagged, but otherwise good. Yeah, that hour time difference, man. <laughs> <laughs> Men of your age. It's tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> Listen, it all makes a difference at this point. For those who don't know, Musa is on tour. I'm on tour. Go and check his Instagram at Okwanga. And we also post it from the Stadio Instagram, I think. Go and check his dates, his tour dates. Yeah. I'm actually currently in Cheltenham for the Cheltenham Literature Festival uh, for the next couple of days. It is, this town is beautiful. Underrated, I've heard. I've never been, but I've heard it's well, underrated. I think, it, I mean, I, I mean, it's extremely expensive. I'll say that much, but it is, I was walking back late last night um, after going to a friend's event. Shout out to Leonie Ross and Monique Groffy did a beautiful reading. Um, I was just like, this is like idyllic. You can see why people like move there and don't leave. Or when they're there, they're like, let's keep living here because let's keep earning what we can to stay here because it's just a wonderland. Architecturally, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Is it, are you going to move to Cheltenham? Is that what you're no, me? no, I'm not. I, Is that what you're <laughs> no, I'm not moved to Cheltenham. I'm not. I love you, but start, I'm not staying here. Not racing horses. No, <laughs> no, not at all. The books went to his head. He started, exactly. he got into horse racing. <laughs> can you imagine? Let's dive into the podcast stuff today. So first of all, admin. And uh, obviously the most important admin of all, I hope everyone's staying safe and well, get vaccinated if you can. 
Uh, second of all, Right His House on Ringer FC. 50th episode went up on Tuesday afternoon, mm. evening. You, me and Righty. It was a really fun episode. We talked about the Nations League. We talked a little bit about the Women's Super League. The Three Generations film, which, was, which has come out, which you can go and check on YouTube of Righty, Sean and DiMaggio. Three Generations yeah. of Football. I think, oh, it's so good, man. It's so good. We talked about that. And we also did an 11 of players that Righty played against where he felt like, what the F am I doing on the pitch with this lot? Yeah, amazing footballers. Yeah, what, oh, what an 11 God. that was. I mean, your face was hilarious. Like, for, <laughs> I think I mentioned it on the podcast, but uh, it, for those who haven't listened to it, I won't, won't spoil the 11, but yeah, when Wrighty kept reading out these names, Moose's <laughs> face was... And someone actually tweeted saying, like, Ryan was channeling big Owen Wilson energy throughout and just put a gif of Owen Wilson going, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always do that when we do the 11s because they always, um, whenever we do 11s or whenever we've, and obviously this one with Wrighty, it always puts up names and you're just like, oh man. Wow. It takes you back here. You're like, because you were in awe of them, watching them on TV. And then when you hear Ian talk about them and it's like, it confirms all the things. Mm. And it's one, it's one, it's one thing when you watch on TV, like, oh my goodness, I imagine this person's like that. When you talk to Ian, it's like, no, it really was wild. Like you were, you know, watching, watching these players and you're like, you almost forget you're playing a game of football. Someone else said that to me. Another player said that to me. It's like, you, you watch Zidane, for example, you're watching Zidane and you're on a pitch with him and you're like, this is my opponent. But you're almost... It's, I mean, I told this story that I told this a thousand times in this podcast about the time that Zidane's playing against, I think, Porto. He does a move. He beats three men with one body swerve and Deco mm-hmm. actually reaches out and pats him on the waist and goes like, that was incredible. In the middle of a game, like, that was incredible. Like, as in he just pats him on the waist going, that's unreal. It's like that thing where Kobe, Kobe does the same to Steph Curry. He pats him on the bum. Yeah, like, yeah. Nice move. No. And then drains a three and he's just like, all right, young man. Good move, Rick. Good, good yeah, move, yeah, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> um, Musa had a piece go up on the Ringer about France's Nations League win as well. If you haven't checked that, go and check it out. Theringer.com forward slash soccer. Uh, there'll be more pieces going up in the next few weeks. And I think, oh, another thing for anyone who listens to Second Captains and is a member of the World Service, you can hear me, Musa, Ken and Owen sat on a park bench in Berlin shooting the shit for a little bit. That was a lovely chat and we hung out with the second captain's boys a little bit. It was great to meet him finally. Great. Oh, that was an they absolute joy, honestly. Boys. That's like a real, yeah, a real highlight. Yeah, they never go home, those boys, literally. Yeah, in that case, yeah. yeah. Uh, so today we thought that because there's, the football's been kind of all over the place and there's been World Cup qualifiers, there's been Nations League, which we've covered. We're kind of in the middle of the Women's Champions League games. There were a few last night. We'll try and touch on those a little bit just very, very, very briefly. Um, but we thought we'd mm. do a mailbag. And there's a couple of things in the mailbag that we were thinking about talking about and we haven't done yet or we haven't had a chance to, but maybe we can talk about. But there are a few things that we have got on the agenda that we haven't done yet. So the first one was obviously uh, the Newcastle stuff. But I think yeah. the Newcastle thing was, is, is interesting. and Maybe we'll cover it in a question. But we kind of went into it a little bit a while ago. Yeah, we did, yeah. The other thing was that there were some pretty nasty anti-Semitic chants coming from some of the Union fans for their game in the Conference League against Maccabi. Mm. We were hoping that uh, the results of the UEFA probe would come back before we recorded this episode, but they haven't yet. So we're going to hold off and talk about that in a little bit more detail, obviously, when the probe comes back. The club did come out straight away mm. 
were very, very, very critical of it, but not something that we want to be hearing in football stadiums. There's a couple of things floating around on that tack. There was um, a few weeks ago, there was the Atlanta Fiorentina stuff. So Vlajevic yes. Fiorentina getting called a Serbian gypsy and some of the, like some of the anti-Roma discrimination in Europe, it's some of the worst I've ever seen. And that was a real thing that um, was forwarded on to us just mentioning that. The England-Hungary stuff as well, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, they. I mean, they will obviously probably get into the band for that. Mm. There's something to be said about being proactive about this stuff because it, it's not coming out of nowhere. Like, no. you know, any, anyone that watched um, that section of the Hungary fan base, you know, let, let's make, let's differentiate the, uh, you know, let's, let's look at the specific fact that those, that particular section of the Hungary fan base, anyone that watched them for like two seconds against Germany knew what was coming. Um, the German police were certainly very aware of it. We saw them. So the fact that the English police were so underprepared, it speaks, it, it's kind of embarrassing to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, that should be an embarrassing morning at work for everyone involved because it was pretty clear what was in the offing. And, you know, I just come, I've just come through customs myself, right? And I can tell you this now, the border forces, we're now calling our security and immigration, they're pretty brutal on me for a microchip not working my passport, right? They raked me over the coals for that. So if you're raking me over oh, the coals for it's that- It's good to see that your technical difficulties ex- yeah, yeah, <laughs> extend to yeah. outside ah, the podcast. Ah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, hang on a minute. You gave me the full treatment. Like, how much were you grilling these, what, few hundreds? Yeah. I mean, because obviously we talk a lot about racism on this podcast and we talk about a lot about discrimination in general, but I think that it is really important to highlight that discrimination that sometimes comes from certain pockets of certain fan bases- throughout Europe and probably throughout the, and obviously throughout the world as well. Yeah. It's just got no place. Yeah. You, you see, you see um, someone like Galashi and Gold for Hungary mm. uh, and Leipzig, who is, you know, progressive and just inclusive. I mean, just well, whatever, just in, someone who's just inclusive. And it's so strange to be that person and look up at your crowd and be like, I'm at odds with this. Like what? I'm here to play football. I'm not here to lead yeah. a hate campaign. You know, this is not I mean, what I'm here this for. is the thing. I think in- inclusive is a really key word. And I think that's something that's, that, yeah, that, that, that is the word. Inclusive is because, the word. Yeah, because yeah. I think that we've, we've, we've pushed this a million times before. And I think that this was the thing that we, one of our main remits for when we started Stadio is that like, football isn't my game. It's not your game. It's everyone's game in a way. Yeah. Because of that, you will get elements in there which are really problematic and really quite, quite grim. But flipping that into a positive way, for example, this week, you know, I was watching the Champions League and at halftime they run this this ongoing series called When We Rise and they do it city by city. So there was London last week, uh, Paris this week, and it basically is showcasing and people who are like really pushing the women's game in these cities or like women's football culture in these cities. So, you know, they had like Felicia Pennant from season on the London one and like Dulwich Hamlet women and all of this kind of stuff. Like all of these community-based people have like gr- have been involved in growing women's football in these cities. Also, one thing I just thought was amazing is just like you have, for example, at halftime, there'll be like an Adidas advert for training gear that is specifically designed for women when they're on their period so they can still exercise. And this kind of thing to me, it's just like, yeah. it's just that's really important because it kind yes. of like pushes something front and center and it's just like, oh, okay, you know, instead of just being marketed like betting adverts or X, Y, and Z or something that's kind of like really, really focused on like a specific certain male fan. Yes. That stuff is really, really important and makes and, and, and adds to the culture of this 
being a game for everyone, which it is. And I know that a lot of people listen to us being like, oh, these woke bastards. But like, fuck it. It's not. Yeah, like- right. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine like supposedly loving a game that much and thinking that actually a load of people shouldn't ever be have access yeah, to yeah. it. It's so fucking ridiculous. And then and then and the moment and the moment people going, the moment more people just want to come along and enjoy it, you're like, no. go away, you're woke. No, no go away. Like, no. Imagine imagine no. that. Like you can't you can't come and you can't come and drink at this pub because you're too woke to enjoy the beer. You're too woke to enjoy the atmosphere that we all No, no, no. Like it's it's a vibe. Like why should I not share that? Why should okay. I not bring something to that? Two pints of woke, please, Barkeep. Exactly. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. All right, man. So a few shouts for some great football stuff happened this week. Uh, Alfonso Davies' goal. Oh my goodness. Against Panama. Wow. Yeah, uh, that, wow. <laughs> little pit the first, on the right-hand flank. Cut the, inside. That's the thing. It's the, it's, the first touch, it's the first touch, isn't it? So it's good. the nutmeg on the touchline. It's so good. It's so audacious. It is so audacious. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that was a big week for the power couple, isn't it? Because his uh, partner, Jordan Heatimer, got a hat-trick in she the Women's Champions League. She yeah. did. Proper poacher hat trick too. I can't wait to see what their next YouTube vid's like. Yeah, of course. They've got their, <laughs> for those who don't know, they've got their own YouTube channel and it's like she genuinely quite wholesome. Very wholesome, yeah, yeah. I hope she teased them. Go, oh yeah, like, oh, you just got the one goal. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah. Oh, 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 really? Oh, oh, oh. score this week. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a lovely goal in the, uh, I think it was Serginio Dest's goal for the US men's national team as well in their oh, qualifiers. So both Canada and the US going, you know, ticking along not too bad. Mm. Good week for them. Um, hey, I mentioned this actually on the other podcast, but Uruguay against Argentina against Uruguay. Hey, they're looking tasty. Argentina yeah. are showing they're showing something. Three 0 for them uh, in the women's Champions League games that have taken place so far. There were th- out of the four, there were three five 0 wins. Uh, Wolfsburg winning five 0 over Savetta. Chelsea got a good result in the end against Juve. Yeah, that was um. They they they. I think they needed that. Actually. Yeah, they did need that. Um, PSG winning five now, and also Real Madrid winning five now. So we have a. Let's maybe use this to start the mailbag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the great man Andre Carlisle at not underscore Carlisle, who says interested in how you both think Chelsea's new three four three is going. Now, this was really interesting because Chelsea have been playing a 3-4-3 and let's just say fans of title contenders in the Super League have been rather into Chelsea's 3-4-3. Notable football writers have not. Mm. This is something that we were talking about a little bit in the Writers House WhatsApp group about how 
we understand why Chelsea have been playing this 3-4-3 and it's that may, largely down to like a personnel issue of not having the fit to kind of have a tidy back four. And it was something mm. that caught them or was evident in the Champions League final last year against Barcelona. But the problem is that knock, we, talk, we talk about this before about, you know, when teams shift things around and it's not necessarily just the personnel being in those positions, it's what you lose elsewhere on the pitch. Yes, yes. So for example, you had like Jess Carter playing as the deepest lying centre-back you kind of lose the balance that Ericsson and Millie Bright have together where, you know, Ericsson, for example, is really good at bringing the ball out of the back. Mm. And Millie Bright is the one that will will kind of like tuck and cover. Um, it's also, I think, had impacts on creating passing patterns and fluidity moving up the pitch. And it's very much actually put put Chelsea in a position where Chelsea have got like such a strong squad and they've mm. got such a strong front line that actually they've relied on that front line to get them out of trouble when they have done this season. And one thing that was quite interesting in this game was there was a substitution in the second half and they actually moved to a back four. And I thought they instantly looked better. Even though they were 2-1 up, they looked like they were actually pushing for another goal, if that makes sense. They looked like they were like almost yeah, no, no, goal behind. Sense. The problem with that then is that you have Guru right and playing left back. Yes. Again, that's not the biggest problem in this team. I worry about this team. So they've clearly overcorrected. No, no, that's not fair. They've clearly corrected because of the 4-0 defeat in the final, which I think is, that was a traumatic result, no matter how we look at it. So now they've got this 3-4-3. They had um, G, uh, GC on alongside loopholes in the centre, Guru right and right, Cuthbert right, uh, left Cuthbert right. The problem is, Cuthbert is, you know, gives you a lot going forward, but not necessarily a natural defender, right? So in going, you're trying to go like for like against, let's say, Barcelona by playing an attacker on the right flank who can get in behind, but Barcelona will find gaps in behind. They will again, they just will. They'll find, Barcelona are going to find the gaps. Mm -hmm. You're better off having someone who is primarily defensive on the flank against Barcelona, I just think, because it's all very well, how do I say this, that being, you've got to build the firm foundations before you put the roof up. And mm -hmm. Cuthbert is brilliant in attacking sense, but I worry in the later stages of the Champions League, which is what this team's maybe even prepped for, that she might get exposed defensively. Centrally, I wonder as well, there's a problem where you're making a trade-off. If you've got GCU on, you're getting someone who will like, progress the ball. But in a kind of a physical skirmish against, let's say, Barcelona's midfield three, loopholes and GCU on against a midfield three will get like the physical, will get out-muscled and that happened in the final, right? So what do you do then? You have England loopholes and you're relying on them to progress the ball to the front three, but they may not have, you know, the extra level that G gives you is the extra 15%, but that's the one that unlocks the elite defences. So it's almost like Chelsea are caught between two stalls, which is why I think the 4-3-3 is better because you have the two eights. Um, you can have Wrighton centrally, where she's so strong defensively and attacking wise. So it's almost like... Loopholes is amazing, but I wonder if her acquisition has created a new challenge. Because I feel like Ingle, and either one, either, if you've got Ingle there with, let's say, Wrighton, G, or Loopholes, I think that to me is the configuration that allows you to go toe for toe with Barcelona in the centre. I like the 3 4 3 is what I'm saying at this stage of the Champions League, but I'm not sure if it's the right one for the like the semis and the finals which is where Chelsea are obviously looking this year I don't that think they'll sense. be playing this in, in April that's what I'm exactly yeah. does, that, does that make sense so I like it for now because you see look good example against Juventus against teams that stand off a bit 
it works because pressure high up the pitch and Chelsea are great at that. And the two wing backs accompany the front three. And then you just basically like, you swarm people, you crush people. But against PSG, who've obviously like, PSG have like, they've, they've, they've scaled, they, they've skilled up. You know, Kiraham Rauri, I think. Like th- those additions they've made, they're interesting now. They, they're, I think they're going to be more interesting in possession as opposed to just reactive this year, right? But this week was the first week they've really fired. But that's, I'm saying, yeah, but look at their acquisitions though. Like mm. I think PSG have, they've raised the bar, I think. So yeah, the three four three short, long answer, short question. I like it for now. I see its value for now, but I'm not sure it's going to be effective in the late stages of Champions League. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you've seen the, where it has failed in, is against teams who I suppose are going to be there and thereabouts for Chelsea in those or challenging Chelsea in those mm. various competitions. So they couldn't really deal with Wolfsburg as soon as Wolfsburg put pressure on them. And they couldn't really handle Arsenal later on in the season. And I think that you just lose a little bit of A to B with that Chelsea side when they play that 3-4-3, I think. Yeah. I think it was one of those things that I think Emma Hayes, without speaking to her about it, obviously, or having any insight into the inner workings of what she's thinking. I think, like you, it was, it was very much like make do amend for now. And yeah, then, and it works. It's working for now, I suppose. To, you know, uh, to I mean, I don't think it. I, I mean, it, it isn't. It isn't. I don't think. I think we've seen it. It, it has. It has. I wouldn't say it's, it has. It's, pre- it's prevailed in certain contexts. I think that's. I think a lot of that's down to, like I said before, their front three dragging them out of trouble. Mm. So I'd be interested to see where they move now because switching to the back four in the Juve game, I think it was like with twenty-five minutes to go or something. I might be wrong, but that's the first time I've seen them with a four so far this season, in, especially in a high-profile game. So it'd be interesting to see where, how, how Emma Hayes lines up everyone and what configuration she does in the next game. I've got to say, I really respect her for changing it up because after that final, obviously there was like, we have to do something about that wide mm-hmm. forward threat. And we've got to be, we have to train. Mm-hmm. So actually it's a funny thing. I wonder if it's going to be a question of just having the tactical flexibility, work on the three four three now. So in the games when it matters, let's say you play three four three for 20 minutes, half an hour, mm-hmm. you know, and just really get in behind Barca and then go back to a four. So it's about having, you know, we've said this before about having a starting 11 and ending 11. Maybe it's about having two formations in which your team is entirely comfortable. I mean, they've got the squad when everyone's fair. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, try do the three four three now. And so when you're ready to switch it up, you can do it. All right, let's do a serious question before we then kind of lighten the mood. Mm. All right, Cheeky Bull Boy shouts to Bob. Have you ever gone through periods where football just wasn't fun and enjoyable for you? If so, how do you get through it? I had a lovely follow-up to this from Clive who said, uh, I had this and I started listening to Stadio. Oh, thanks. Oh, that's lovely. And Andrew Blair had something, I suppose it's kind of similar and this is what I was touching on, the Newcastle stuff. He said, after the Newcastle takeover, I've been feeling a bit done with the Premier League, most major leagues in general, to be honest. Do you think like me, people will return to supporting lower leagues more? where it's slightly more about football and not so much about money and BS. Now, I think there was an interesting thing that floated on the Athletic Football podcast this week about uh, lower league attendances being up. I think this may be a factor. Let's lump these in together because the Newcastle stuff we haven't really touched on properly because, well, first of all, we kind of did something on it a, a while ago when the possibility of Newcastle being taken over was being floated. And I think anyone who's listened to us on the podcast can kind of imagine what, how we feel about it. So I will keep it very, very brief because there's been so much coverage of this and I don't really think we have anything massively insightful to add that we haven't already repeated before on the podcast. We should not be in a position in football where this kind of takeover can happen. 
However, this isn't something that has just all of a sudden happened. This has been going on for 15, 16 years, 17 maybe, in the Premier League. The morality of takeovers in the Premier League or people who can buy the football clubs and the fit and proper persons check and all this kind of stuff. It's been a farce for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Newcastle is is an interesting case because maybe this leans a little bit into the episode we did about Macclesfield. Yes. I think I've, I talked about it when we when we talked about Newcastle before, about how this is very much like you see St. James's Park in Newcastle from pretty much everywhere in the city and it's like the cathedral on the hill. And yeah. I really feel for fans actually because they've really been through it and the way that that club has been kind of neglected is disgraceful, to be honest. Mm. It's very easy for us to kind of sit here and critique fans who have who have grown up in the region, who for, for them, Newcastle United is everything and to pick holes in their lack of critique for the new ownership. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Again, and this is something that we reiterate quite a lot, and it's something that we talked a little bit about on the second captains the other day, about how like in in Germany, for example, there's a real culture of like fan bases holding their clubs to account for certain things. But that's also because they've been given the, the conditions to do so because of the ownership model here is protected from that kind of sale. Yeah. I really feel for a lot of fans because they're just kind of stuck. The, the, thing, the one thing they yeah. love the most, because of the way that the Premier League and the Football Association and the UK government as well, to be honest, has allowed capitalism to just run wild and unchecked in top flight football and all football, to be honest, in the country. It's yeah. allowed for this to happen. And it just means that the thing that you can grow up in the shadow of in terms of St. James's Park and Newcastle United, for example, or the thing that you can almost dedicate your whole life to is so far out of your control that it can be passed between anyone in the world that has the money and you don't really have a say in it and um yeah i just think it's it's one of those i don't really think we have i don't know about you but i think it's like we said before like people know our thoughts on this we've done it before and we just mm. in an ideal world clubs like newcastle united would be bought by people who had money from from who were like proper newcastle fans from the area maybe not that from being from the area is essential, but you know, something like that where it felt more, I don't know, it felt more I mean, you know, actually, like it's it was funny. being handled with, with love and care. There was a stewardship, you know, it is, it's about stewardship. You know, you look at Arsenal and when Arsenal was owned at a certain point, it uh, had different ownership. It was like, there was a sense of stewardship and all I would say, about, and, and everything you say, I, I agree with, I would just say that, um, to reiterate why this is just a continuation of a trend, but still an extreme one. We said this before, but I'll just say it again. You know, Jamal Khashoggi, the journalist, was murdered in an embassy, allegedly on the say-so of the current leader of Saudi Arabia, who is the chair of the investment fund, public investment fund that has acquired Newcastle, right? And the circumstances of that murder, for those who are not aware, particularly horrific. Um, and also the government has been criticized in Saudi Arabia for the war in Yemen. So there's, if it's about working class issues, working class supporters and solidarity, well, you know, Newcastle, you know, there's, there's a strong blue collar tradition there. And there's lots of like, you know, there's a lot of working class people were the victim of a lot of these horrifying policies um, that are being kind of sport washed away by this purchase. Now, this is not, again, specific to Newcastle. It's not specific to the ownership structure. This has happened with other clubs, Manchester City. Uh, we have, you know, egregious ownership examples in Manchester United, of which I'm a club, So I, and Chelsea too. So what I would say is this, 
Um, by all means, you know, continue supporting your club, but just be aware of that uh, complexity and just be, I suppose, be thoughtful about, are these people the best and most responsible stewards, not only of our club, but our club's values? And my opinion, the answer to that in the case of many of these owners of these clubs is absolutely not. And I would just say that the most important thing, the the one way we can honour the suffering of people who've suffered under the owners that own several of our clubs now is just to remember that complexity. Just please never turn away from it. You know what I mean? Because it's very easy as football fans, the money starts coming in, the signings start coming in. It's easy to kind of look away from that because football's our escapism. But there are some things I believe that we cannot look away from. And that is really, I've said this before, but that's, that's all I'll kind of say on that. Because essentially, if you're going to look at it in terms of a, I don't want to use this analogy so much, but like the fans are the ones that are on the front line. They're the ones that are like forced to ask difficult questions about something. Some of them just want to see good football and good players and have a bit of joy because that's literally the only joy that some people have with football. And that's why sport is so, so special in some, so many ways. And the thing is, that for all the problems like with when capitalism enters something like this to this degree, and it happens all over the world in sport, like no sport is immune to this or if there are, they're very, very few. It goes down to something that we've said a million times before and the people who are in charge of uh, governing the sport or, or, or have been given the custodianship of the sport are absolutely hell-bent on doing some, or not necessarily destroying, do you know what? I think ultimately destroying its soul for the sake of money. And actually, I want, to draw, I want to throw this in as well. There's a responsibility on us as members of sports media not to allow the myth to perpetuate and to keep puncturing the bubble every now and again, to talk about the stuff on the field and it's exciting, but also off the field. It's important for us because it's very easy. I think that, you know, we, it's very easy as well because, again, we're in this, you talk this privileged position, you're completely right. It's easy for people to kind of like, oh, I don't talk about the political aspects of sport. But here's the thing. Those same people are going, oh, don't bring politics into sport when politics is actively buying sport because it knows that people are afraid of those conversations, right? And what's been really quite reassuring in some cases, I've got to say this, I have noticed a few of of our colleagues get noticeably sharper and more outspoken about this stuff as time has gone on in a way that I find quite reassuring to find people actually grappling because before they weren't talking about these issues, but it's really good to see them actually looking at the nuances and what's happening here. And the thing is these clubs are being bought because they're beautiful institutions. Mm -hmm. They know who to target. They know which institutions to target. Of course you target Newcastle because it has the richness of its huge club, richness, fan base. And it knows that these conversations will be yeah, it, it, you align. That's what you always do. If you if you're if you're a power with a a reputation which is let's frankly um less than stellar, you assign yourself you you align yourself with a club that has a fine reputation, and that's just what's happened here. And I think anyway. this is the thing with Newcastle that we said last time is just that like Newcastle is such a special football club, and yeah, yeah. The only thing that actually surprises me about this situation with my kind of like old cynic head on is that it has taken this long. Exactly, I'm surprised it didn't happen like ten years ago. Yeah, actually, yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised it didn't happen, but to be honest, back in 08, mm. when uh, Man City and Shinawatra were there, or back in 04, I'm really surprised Newcastle didn't have the situation earlier. But anyway. Uh, using Bob's question as a kind of a pivot back into cheerfulness, yeah. have you ever gone through periods of football that just wasn't fun and enjoyable for you? Yes. So how did you get yes. through it? And I think the thing is, this is the yeah. key thing with football. There are always football stories and football things happening away from maybe the very, 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 very top of the game that are super enjoyable. Like, like I said earlier, like the Women's Champions League this week, just the whole 
the Women's Champions League being back and the way it's being broadcast everywhere, it's amazing. Or looking further down the table or uh, looking elsewhere or like various leagues and stuff like that. There's, there are yeah, just always... Skip through, I know, skip through Dazone and watch a game, you know, French, French you know, Liga game and just like watch watch a couple of teams you haven't watched before. Yeah. And just, yeah, just, just for like five, 10 minutes. Oh, this is quite fun actually. Oh, this is quite, ah. It's like, there's always football, new stories. This yeah. is the thing about football. Like uh, there are, there are a few things in the world, I think that can be so genuinely incredible and so utterly fucking horrific. Yeah. Yeah. So just when, when things have been difficult, so specifically when United were really, really struggling, but not just, you know, the ownership isn't great at United um, and hasn't been for a long time. And some of the football was really dire, really dire, like nil nil draws all over the place. You know, just start watching other stuff and start reading other stuff. And also like, almost like double down. Mm. So in Berlin, I was having a tough time in Berlin a few years ago and it was like, do I hang around here or do I leave? And you met me. <laughs> oh no. And then he was like, I'm moving. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I'm leaving. Oh no. <laughs> Every time I leave the city, it's a cry for help. No. Um, but I, I thought if, if you're really struggling somewhere, if you're struggling with something, you do one of two things, whatever the context, whether you're living somewhere, you're not sure about you should live there or watching football, not sure you should still love it. You can either stop loving it altogether and walk away from it. And there's no shame in that. Or you can double down and be like, I'm going to do even more of the thing that I'm not sure that I like. So in relation to football, oh gosh, football, I'm disillusioned with it. Actually go and find even more football, but find it in places that you don't, wouldn't normally look. Mm-hmm. And that's how you rediscover your love. So for me, it was going to like games in Germany. Um, now and again with friends, go to some Union games or Wolfsburg Frauen games or even, you know, shout out to her, so get some tickets there, more amateur football, um, and just randomly watch games online, like just jump into a league and watch for a while, like Argentina, I don't know, the Clausura, whatever, just, and just find stuff that got me excited and you see a player, like, wow, I love the way they play. And then like, you just, find, yeah, like you said, find new stories mm-hmm. and that, that brought it back. Uh, there was a question actually on this from Fabian who said you get to attend any game in the history of football which game do you, do you decide to attend and why this reminded me of something that I was going to mention because watching oh old games has been something that I've been doing a little bit more recently and it's been amazing so for example I was when I was reading Simon Cooper's book about Barca he mentioned the Ajax Independiente World Club Cup game oh wow yes and okay, I went back yeah, and okay. watched it and it's Ajax look like they could be a team competing for the Champions League like now, still. This that's is like amazing. early 70s. Gosh, which game? Do you know? Oh, that's uh, To so- be honest, actually, off the, if, off the top of my head, I would have loved to have gone back and seen that or maybe seen a classic Ajax game back then. I think it would be Seri- something Serie A, maybe Milan, the, the three Dutchmen, that era, maybe oh, the kind nice. of, um, you know, in, that, in and around that Milan-Napoli, you know, late... Um, late 80s. Yeah, I think it's that. I think it would have been that. And then like, you know what it would have been? Actually, I'm imagining it now because it would have been like San Siro, you know, a dinner, a nice, like, because, you know, the kickoff's a bit later, that's at 9 p.m. So you kind of go to like, do the early evening dinner and like, you know, in the local, wherever, like, you know, the local places, then just like, just make a whole weekend of it. Watch a game, evening game in San Siro, the three Dutchmen in their pomp, and then like, come back. That, that I think that would have been the one, something like that. So I'm not sure exactly which game, but probably... Well, actually, do you know what? Maybe um, you wouldn't have gone see mid nineties Milan with George playing. No, because I mean, much as I love you know King George, I think that that Milan team, maybe you know, maybe the Milan five Real Madrid nil. Ooh. 
uh, the, the 89 Champions League uh, semi, the European Cup semi-final, maybe that, because that was just like the demonstration. And that was the kind of the peak. Everyone was, everyone was in sync. Mm. Yeah. So maybe that Milan 5, uh, Real Madrid nil, the, um, it was the first leg, I think, of the European Cup semi-final, 89. Lovely. Maybe that one. Yeah. Uh, Mindy on Twitter, underscore Mindy underscore says, a burning question that is etched across my mind every time I listen. How do you guys see every football match across every league plus watch every culturally significant TV show slash film and still get out to, to read poetry and whatnot? Do you sleep? If, if yes, what's the workflow, please? So we don't watch every game. We watch a lot of games. Um, I think my... But there's a short, you know, there's a very, very short answer is living alone through a pandemic helps. Um, <laughs> yeah, with no dependence. And, and, uh, no sleep. and I, sleep, I do sleep like weird hours. I sleep yeah, Musa, like Musa does that thing. I can't remember when it was. Was it back in Tudor times when they used to sleep in two, four hour chunks and get up at like 2 a.m. for a couple of hours and then go back to bed? And that was like considered normal. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, Musa, Musa, Musa sleeps like a cat. But like he'll just like three hours and then he'll pop up and tweet for a bit and then he'll go to sleep for another hour and then he'll pop up again. And then I'll text him at, I don't know, 8 p.m. one night and I'll just get one tick on WhatsApp and I'll get a text back the following night, the following morning because he just went to bed at 7.30. And I'm just like, what the f- <laughs> God, man. It's like, like less reliable than a Berlin burger amped. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I think, so basically... Right. So my usual process, if, if for example, I have a completely free weekend in terms of like, no, you know, I don't have to go and see a friend or anything like that. Um, I'll try and check in with a Friday night game. Usually there's a Bundesliga game on a Friday night and it's usually a pretty tasty one. So I'll usually do that. I watch the lunchtime Premier League game if there's, if it's good or depending on where sometimes there's a lunchtime La Liga game on Saturday. That's really good. Yeah. Then I usually have the Bundesliga conference on the TV for the three thirty games, whilst maybe having a Premier League game on the laptop if there's a big one on it. Well, the three PM Premier League kickoffs, four PM our time. They show some of them live here, and then you've got usually the top spiel der Woche in the Bundesliga is the Saturday evening game. Um. And usually it times pretty well. So you can kind of have football on from about 1 p.m. till maybe like 8.30 p.m. No, even later actually, because there'll usually be a Saturday night, Saturday night La Liga or Liga or Serie A games as well. And then, yeah, all the Sunday games. So I think, <laughs> I think the most I've ever watched in the weekend was like 12, 13, games. 12, 13 live games, but yeah, some of them were simultaneous. Amazing. But that was, I think, back when, I think that was last, last year when the pandemic was in. Like Full really, swing. Yeah, but really early on when football came back. But other than that, we just try and, I think the way that we, we watch football is that we just try and keep abreast of everything. We, yeah, yeah. we keep an eye out of what's coming up. And, you know, we'll have like, for example, games that we know we absolutely want to watch because of the spectacle. But then if we catch wind of that something pretty wild is happening, we'll either watch the extended highlights of that if we missed it, or sometimes yeah. we'll go back and watch the full the full thing as well. And um I think that's it's not it, hard basically. to top it's up. Just like- it's not hard to top up. If you'd if you'd watch a few get quite a few games live, I, I always tried to basically by rule of thumb, I tried to give my Saturday to football. Mm. 
without, you oh, know, if so I can. I'm the opposite. Sunday's my footballer. Right. So I normally just, because I like to get, say, a Saturday to football and then, you know, you can, you can put in a half, you know, and if you catch up on games, you watch like 45 minutes and then like have a break, another 45, you can like get to them pretty fast. Uh, what I will say as well is also, um, I have managed to open a multiverse. So sometimes there's actually 10 versions of me watching games at once. So I do actually watch all the football. Yeah, no, that's a joke. Ah. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, but, but brutally honest, um, we get to do what we love for a living. And when you get to do that, having spent years trying to get to that point, when you get an opportunity to do it, you basically just double down on it. So you're basically just always watching stuff. And the beauty is, the beauty about, you know, writing and talking about football for a living and pop culture is that everything you consume is work. Everything's helpful, you know. So whether you're reading a novel, you know, you know, just I just finished reading the first Dune novel. Now I'm reading Dune Messiah, and it's mind blowing. It's just like 150 pages of politics, politics. But I love it. Nothing's actually happening. It's just politics. That was dreadful, to be honest. Oh my gosh! I love- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's my happy place, though. Um, so yeah, I guess that when you're at the point you know, I'm at, we're at where everything you consume is basically something that helps your work. It empowers you and enables you and it encourages you to do more of that. So yeah, that's how we end up getting through so much. Yeah. I think also it's, I think I've said this before to a couple of people that, um, trying to, trying to watch at least one full game of say certain teams that you want to keep an eye on through the season like yeah. every other week or and, and then watch extended highlights of those teams. So you get a sense of, as opposed to it being game by game, you get a sense of how, of like momentum and how things are kind of evolving through the season. And that's just a really good way to keep keep on top of stuff because um, I, I, I agree with what you're saying about it. You know, it is actual, it is work, for example, but obviously... Um, also for me, like I am genuinely interested in, you know, certain clubs that might be outside of the, the, yeah, yeah, the top, yeah. you know, I am genuinely interested in how certain clubs are like evolving and obviously you can never, ever, ever, ever be at an absolute specialist in every single top league. And I think we've said that before, but like you try and, you try and keep your eye on as much as possible just because it's great. Yeah. Exactly. Just so much fun. Like I said, as shit as football is, it is kind of amazing. It is. Very much so. Sometimes maybe good. Sometimes maybe shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shout out to Corey Hungate, who said, just wrote, didn't write a question, just responded to our tweet about questions with it in quotation marks. Stadio's sexy 11. One wow. day, Corey. One day. One day. When the... Sandro, when Sandro Tonali is vice captain. When it starts getting, <laughs> when the winter really arrives, we'll drop a, we'll drop a very, very hot podcast. Yes. <laughs> Declan Hart said, how are the second captain's boys? Lovely. Oh, they were absolutely delightful. They were wonderful. Just a joy to talk to. So uh, yeah, so we, um, a peek behind the curtain. So we did the uh, second captains with them. We recorded that on a park bench in Berlin, which absolutely loved. And then they came to my birthday drinks later that evening. Yeah. And it was just an absolute joy. That just some of, can I just say this? Like, we both listened to Second Captains for a while. And, um, you know, even to the point where, like, there's catchphrases of there or like the catchphrases of theirs. Yeah, I fanboyed episodes. a little bit. I yeah. was a bit. Mm. Yeah. Well, because it's like they're just, they're just brilliant. And it's one of those ones they, they say, like, haha, no, it's going to sound really. Don't meet people whose work you really, really admire. But then this was really lovely but like yeah, i'm great. glad yeah yeah it's really lovely yeah good people 
Good boys. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Guess who's back in our mentions? Ironic considering he sent in a Bond villain question, whereas this boy is one of, the most, one of the most villainous. <laughs> it's it's the, co Chow, fan, the co The co-honcho of the Stadio fan club is one of the ah. most mischievous Stadio ah, listeners. Ah. Oh my goodness. Um, What's he done now? Also, shouts to Jamie as well, JWM Football, who wrote something kind of similar. So Jamie wrote, who from the world of football would make the best Bond? Also, who would make who would play the villain in their first feature? Cheers, lads. Kunle says, which football manager is most likely to be a Bond villain and why is it actually Arsene Wenger? Now, we actually recorded a really, really quick bit about this, I think, on Wright's House, but we chopped it for time. So, best Bond. I think I said, actually, I think I said Leon Goretzka. Yeah, I see that. I see that. I see that. I see Goretzka. I think it's an extremely strong shout. Um, he changed his name though, Jan Bund. Especially, <laughs> especially where Daniel Craig took Bond, Leon Goretzka playing Bond, I think, you know, his political outlook and the vibe, the aesthetic, I think Goretzka's an excellent shout. Um, a Bond villain, do you know what I'm going for? Otmar Hitzfeld. Are you? Yes, I think Wenger is too obvious because if you think about Wenger, right, and like how Bond villains have been now, the visibility of Arsene Wenger is like, yeah, he'd be a Bond villain, but he wouldn't be the super villain. He wouldn't be the one above the high table. I think it's Otmar Hitzfeld. Otmar Hitzfeld, couple of Champions Leagues, and I reckon him, Wenger, the three super villains are him, Jupp Heynckes, and Arsene Wenger. And like Jupp's Wenger's not the front super villain. No, that's how they get. That's how they get you. No, that's how they get you. That's how they get you. See, I think Yup. I think Yup's in there. I think Yup's in there. I think he's friends. I think they're friends. I think they're all in it. Because I think you're like, oh no, it can't be Yup. But then you need someone who's like, it can't be that person. That's interesting. Otmar, Otmar Hitzfeld is the ultimate one though, because look, my guy won Champions League and just bounced. The ultimate supervillain is someone who is like, your hand is like barely seen in it. This mm. is why I think it's Hitzfeld because he's mates with all of them. You look, look how look how big his cultural imprint is on football, like. Champions League 97, I think, and then 01 with Bayern. And then and they hadn't won in ages. 
and he just does it. And, but he gets almost no profile. And this is, I'm joking about the Bond villain thing, really. Only because I think a supervillain is someone whose influence is absolutely huge. And yet, if you've got to name the top 20 coaches of the last how many, 20 years, Hitzfeld probably won't come up. Or yeah, he would be a good Bond villain, actually. Love to Mateus. He would be a good villain, but not a super villain. He could be villain. like one of the one of the one of the two like henchmen. The front line, like, yeah, yeah. The fr- exactly the front line. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? We're talking about super villains, like front line. Wenger is too obvious because Wenger is like, yeah, I know that he had the kind of like he did the heel turn of going to FIFA, but ultimately he's still too present. I reckon it's Omar Hitzfeld. He's my shout, chilling in his lair on the edge of the lake, stroking the white cat. Interesting. Also, can I say as well, joking aside. I love him for his humility. I saw an interview he gave to like German Wings magazine. German Wings is like the kind of like German EasyJet, right? Euro Wings. Mm. He gave an interview to them. And I was like, this man won so much and then just bounced from football, like not out there, not flashing and no disrespect if he had, you know, he'd be perfectly entitled to that. But just, I was like, this is such a kind of like, like a humble dude. Mm. You know, there are some teams when you see them winning and go like the man, like Hansi Flick, when they win the treble and Hansi Flick doesn't take the Champions League trophy. He waits for everyone else to have photos. Then he's like, can you, can you take a photo of me and my coaching staff? And it's never about him. And I really, really rate managers who, and I'm, I'm not even knocking managers who do get hyped when they win stuff because it's a huge thing, right? Mm. But it's always remarkable to see the ones who step back because you're like, oh, that's why, that's why they're so beloved. You look at like Simeone. Simeone, I know he's a big like character, but he does let his players have the kind of, he's a funny one, isn't he? Because Simeone is like, I mean, you could talk about Bond villains. Simeone is someone who is very much like charismatic front and center, but when his teams actually win things, he's like, you go first, player first. Did you hear Simeone's quote about Kimmich? No, no. Oh my God, When please. you go to Bayern Munich, you have no other choice but to win. Have you seen how Bayern Munich play? They come at you and will only score goals. They never lose. They have someone like Kimmich. The last time he lost the ball was when he gave it to his son to play with him. Oh, I love that. I love Simeone, honestly. I, w- I reckon his name must come up in so many WhatsApp groups. Like, what's he like to play with? I'm sure there's like, you know, for, people play for Atleti because you know, players talk. Atleti players who've got mates at other clubs going, what's it like working with Simeone? Also, listen to this. I go to the cinema and think about whether Jao or Correa is going to play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love him. I love him. Uh, yeah, also, so correct respond. Yeah. Did you Sorry. see the thing about uh, it? La- it was something that lasted three hours. Diego Simeone. The messy conversation. Yeah. <gasps> oh my goodness. Didn't we say this about how Messi should just train with Atleti until yeah. like the World Cup? And the fact that it actually, we were joking about it. The fact that it actually was a thing that was considered. And it he called, he called Suarez to see if it would work. But How long did the conversation last? Not long at all. Tom Monaghan says, the music on the pods is so wonderful. Thanks, Tom. How do you discover new, each of you discover new music? Okay, so basically the, the way that we do, since we obviously came into the ring, um, everything we use is is with permission. So we basically just contact labels that we know and uh, yeah, just say, hey guys, do you mind if we pay out on stuff from your label? And then we build a big pool of stuff and then they're all okay with it. And uh, most of the stuff is very, very, in terms of numbers, for example, you know, small plays, lower plays on Spotify. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, I like to give a little bit of shine to some music that isn't massively mainstream, I suppose. The one we're playing, well, what we're playing out with this, this, this week in particular is like, I heard this and I thought to myself, so sleazy. This, yeah, this, this tune 
has lost its keys stumbling and drunk at 3 a.m. Oh, yeah. Like this, 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 yeah, this, this tune, I heard this tune and I'm like, I've seen you in a nightclub queue before. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've never, I've never, I've never so quickly heard a tune, but I'm like, I know what you, if you were a human, I would know what you look like and how you behave. <laughs> I love this one. I love this one. All right. Kellen McMahon says, if you could bring a retired player for your f- favorite side back into the current side, who would it be and why? As a Chelsea fan, I would take Drogba and put him next to Rom. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love this question so much. Michael Carrick. Michael Carrick. I suppose, yeah, they could do with a midfielder. Michael Carrick would actually sort out so much. Yep. Just in in terms of like ball circulation. I don't think they need a kind of like, you know, snarlingness and that. They just need like ball circulation because Carrick would just be like, he'd just stand in training and play these passes and people would be like, at first they'd be like, what are you doing? And he'd be like, yeah, like the Bergkamp thing with Ian Wright. We keep playing the passes. What are you doing? It's like, no, no, no. Okay. Just wouldn't even explain it. It's really interesting because mine was a midfielder as well. Oh, really? Who would that be? Patrick Vieira. It's funny, isn't it? Like, and the, again, but these are both players who would instantly sort out huge things. And some, some would say, some would, I'm sure a lot of people would be like, oh no, why not Rakeen? Actually, first of all, chemistry issues, not necessarily a good fit. Also, people forget that defensively, because Keane bombed forward so often, he would leave like Veron exposed. Mm. Whereas Carrick was always at the back and Carrick's combination with Varane and Maguire would be unbelievable. I think that would just unlock Manchester United without too much extra yeah, coaching. definitely. I mean, I, I thought about Wrighty because I think just seeing Wrighty in front of Smithrow, Saka and Odegaard would be really, really fun. He would feast on those chances. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, but, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, I also obviously thought of Thierry and Burkamp for similar reasons, but I think Burkamp in this current Arsenal squad, it's not really, I said this sounds so weird because you always need a player like Burkamp, but I think it's a different, it's a different thing now. So I think like having um, Vieira and Partey as a two should be like, I mean, good luck, anyone. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely. Because you, the amount of like, you have every single box ticked in two players there. Yeah. Every yeah. single box. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I'd go for those Vieira, Partey, wow. That's- I know, right? That's serious. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. Okay. Lovely question. Yeah. Yeah. I like that question. Uh, let's have a look. They're all great questions. Thank you very much, listeners. Thank you. Yeah. Much. Let's do this one from Chilvia Plath. What couple of movies would you watch endlessly? Or maybe what football matches or what books? Thinking about things that just gain depth with revisiting. Wow. Wow. You know, peak Barcelona under Guardiola, I think those are the games that you rewatch because you keep seeing new things. Oh God, yeah. I have to say even, you know, United fans might be like, why bring that up again? But the Barcelona 3-1 over Manchester United is just spellbinding. You can rewatch that again and watch each player individually and what they're doing. I would also add to that the Barcelona 3-1 win over uh, Juventus in the 2015 Champions League final. If you rewatch that first half again in particular and you watch Messi, Rakitic, Iniesta and Busquets and what they're doing individually, each one of them blows you away. Each one of them could be man of the match. Mm-hmm. Like Busquets doing no-look passes, it's astonishing. For the first 45 minutes of that game, it's some of the best it was ever seen. Uh, books to reread, um, Haru, um, Murakami, uh, Murakami's Wind Up Bird Chronicle, astonishing. You can keep finding new things. Films to rewatch, Apocalypse Now, Redux, the four-hour version. That was, at some point, I would start watching that, Ryan. Like, and it would be half an hour in and I would just sit and like be transfixed by it. 
Oh, do you know what? I've, I'm going to watch that this weekend. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I haven't, haven't watched that in a long, 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 long time. Maybe it's, maybe it's an age thing as well, but I'm getting into longer films. So like the Blade Runner 2049 is unbelievable. Oh, so good, man. Like frame for frame. Yeah. Yeah. I might do it. I might do a Squid Game rewatch already, to be honest. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I haven't watched that yet. I'm saving that. Oh, I'm so I'm jealous Squid. that you haven't even watched it. Um, I'm, I'm saving Squid Game. No, I think The Wire, for sure. Because I think just that there are just, every time you watch The Wire, there are just little nuances that you hear or like little bits off, things that people say off camera that you're just like, oh, I, I missed that. Left Field Shout, Left Field Shout, Running on Empty, River Phoenix Breakthrough Movie, mm. uh, mid-80s. This movie's incredible. It's about basically like River Phoenix is the um, son of a family who are like, activists, like radical activists who I think they're in trouble for like an act of like domestic terrorism and they're on the run from the FBI. And so he basically runs from, ta- he runs, he's on the run every few months. And then he meets, I think, Martha Plimpton. He falls in love with Martha Plimpton in a small town and wants to stay behind and his family want to go on the run. If you watch that movie again, from the perspective of like River Phoenix, but not only him, but his young brother who has to keep running when he keeps staying if you rewatch that, it's one of those movies where you rewatch it from the perspective of every single person in it and you see something incredible in the performance. Like everyone in that movie, mm. it's like LA Confidential, there's another one. Every single person in those movies is acting the lights out. Mm. And you, you have to watch it multiple times just to understand the creative choices they're making. Love it so much. Mad Men also. Rewatch. Very rewatchable. Still, still got to watch Mad Men. Can't wait. Still got to watch it. Watch Mad Men. And the, word, the funny thing is, I worked in communications. I worked in PR for years, so, so like, I should like. Well, actually, that's advertising, yeah, yeah. isn't it? So it's different. Same thing. It's, it's public relations, isn't it? It's all the same. <laughs> um, it's all the same. Movies. Do you know what? All the presidents' men I could watch every week for the rest of my life and probably be all right with it. There's something about that movie. I don't know. It's just very like. Is it Robert Redford? Is that Alan Jacob? Peculiar? Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman about the yeah. Watergate. They play Woodward and Bernstein. I find it quite a hypnotic movie. It's just everything about it. I know it sounds like a small, weird thing to say, but the first half hour of Avengers Endgame, when they really talk about the consequences of like losing half the universe, just the way they linger is brilliant. For a superhero movie, right? Because everyone gives superhero movies so much shit, right? That's, yeah, and right, rightly the, so in many cases. Yeah, the but, end of Infinity yeah. War and the beginning of Endgame are so bleak. They're yeah. genuinely quite bleak. Yeah, I loved it. The, the, the end of Infinity War is the most gobsmacked I've been in a cinema like mm. in the terms of what they actually I was like they actually did it I turned to this there was um uh, a group of people like traveling um South Korean like uh I say the kids they're probably in their 20s but I'm old so I, they look like kids to me early 20s a really nice bunch um they were I think they were like studying their exchange students and I sat next to them in the cinema and I turned to them and I was just like because we were all watching at like 8 a.m there were like 20 of us in the cinema in the IMAX this huge IMAX in Berlin and I was just like I feel really privileged to have seen this. Mm-hmm. Like this, I've, like before all the reviews have come out, I'm really privileged that I saw this because it just, it was completely gobsmacking. So that was on those great movements. And to be honest, it's like, I think I'd revisit individual scenes. So in terms of rewatching, I think Sopranos is like that. There are Sopranos mm-hmm. scenes. I just go back and rewatch for like four minutes at a time. Unbelievable. I should probably wrap there, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get out of here. Yeah, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, enjoying the football. There has been some really, really great football, you know. Like we yeah, said, yeah, the football absolutely. paradox. So Indeed. great and so goddamn awful. <laughs> Testing my patience, football. <laughs> uh, much like Moose Walk. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. Yes, yeah, it's the truth, is facts. <laughs> no, you don't test my patience. No lies told. Yeah, don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Check right his ass if you haven't heard it already. Um, 
any other bits of admin? Oh yeah, Stadio Atro's playlist on Spotify. Playing out on Mutant Beat Dance. Track called Revival 80s. And yeah, anything else you want to add, Musa Wakwanga? Nothing further, Your Honour. Told you about calling me Your Honour. Ha <laughs> ha uh, Much love, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. And we will be back on Monday. See you then. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.